the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. The following program is sponsored by Ron Geyer Roofing. The Bible describes events that will mark the last days, or end times. 2 Timothy 3.1 says, This know also, that in the last days perilous times shall come. Matthew 24.44 tells us, Therefore you must be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour when you do not expect Him. Bible teacher Ron Geyer leads us through Scripture that will help us to remain strong in the Lord. End Time Insights with Bible teacher Ron Geyer starts now. Good evening, family. Ron Geyer, back with End Time Insights. And contrary to popular church doctrine, we are talking about sin. We are talking about sin in the context that <laughs> Jesus has already defeated its power to destroy you. And we currently are talking about sin, the sin of pride. Very, very important. I want to give you a verse about uh, what's going on with sin. It's important as we tell you about these sins as we identify these sins, and hopefully, as the Holy Spirit of God convicts you of the sins that so easily beset you, you allow the Holy Spirit of God to work in you and remove it, because after all, the sin has already been defeated. Let me read Revelation chapter 1, verse 5. And from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness, and the first begotten of the dead, and the prince of the kings of the earth, unto him that loved us and washed us from our sins, in his own blood. So wonderful. A, Jesus loved us. B, he already has washed us from our sins in his own blood. Nothing but the blood. That's the only thing that can cleanse you from sin. The blood of Jesus Christ, it has already been shed. It's not shed every time you sin. He has already done this, all because he loved us. Hallelujah. So good evening. As we can talk, continue talking about the sin of pride, I wish to start off with a reminder that the power of sin, as well as every other sin, not just the sin of pride, the power of every sin under the planet has already been broken by Christ on the cross. Colossians 1.13, who hath delivered us from the power of darkness and hath translated us into the kingdom of his dear son. Just like he has already washed us from our sins in his own blood, He has also delivered us from the power of darkness, and he has translated us into the kingdom of his dear son. So he has already delivered us from the power of darkness. You have been delivered if you repent of your sins and if you propitiate the promises, if you apprehend that for which you have been apprehended for. So those of us who belong to Christ Jesus, A, our sins have been washed, and B, we have been delivered from the power of darkness. There's a push to deliver people now. We need to have deliverance ministries here and there. Well, you've already been delivered. And if you continue in Christ, your sins, they should be less and less and less and less. My former pastor, John Osteen, used to say, I sin all I want. I just don't want you anymore. That's what Jesus Christ has done for you. I share this verse because I wish to keep sin in its proper place. That's what I'm trying to do. We, the church, we have been delivered from the power of darkness. Darkness no longer holds sway over you. 
Satan can't force you to sin. Satan does not rule your life anymore. The Lord Jesus Christ has become your Lord, and he rules your life if you will let him. I saw a bumper sticker. What was it? Jesus is my co-pilot. Well, that's wrong. You need to move over. He needs to be driving. You are the co-pilot. Hallelujah. We've been set free from sin. Big Jesus, little sin. Don't be intimidated by sin. Any sin. Any sin that you have, repent and give it over to Jesus. Put it under the blood. And yes, even the most heinous of sins, pride. Pride is only mentioned, this is really interesting. Pride is only mentioned in the New Testament three times. Wow, I thought it would be everywhere. Fornication is mentioned 30 times in the New Testament. Covetousness is mentioned 17 times. And lying and liars only mentioned 15 times. I point that out to make the statement. I don't believe pride should be so prevalent in the body of Christ, in Christianity, in the church. We get saved by repenting, right? Repentance is an act of humility on our part. It flies in the face of pride. My meaning here is there should be no place for pride in the life of the Christian. We are drawn to other sins by our flesh. While that's wrong, that's understandable, right? Because we have this body, we're living in Satan's world, and there's an evil, wicked devil on the loose here that tempts us with manifesting good feelings, pleasurable appetites that appeal to our flesh. But pride is different. There should be no place there isn't any place really for pride in the Christian because it's a slap in the face to God. You know, either he's God or you're God. You know, you cannot have both God on the throne and you on the throne. It's one or the other. We are drawn to other sins by our flesh, but we don't have glorified bodies yet, so that's understandable. Yet, this is Satan's world and we are susceptible to all of its carnal attractions. Pride is born from within. It's birthed in the heart of man And it's incubated by a need for recognition, acclaim, the desire to be right or be placed above our fellow man. If others won't do that, pride does it for you. James 4.10, humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord and he shall lift you up. Humble yourselves. If you do not humble yourself, there's an excellent chance that God will humble you for you. Humble yourselves in the sight of God. I love that. Go stand before God. Open up the Bible. Go worship the Lord Jesus. Get in the presence of God. But humble yourself before God, recognizing he's the creator and you're the creation. You are the clay and he is the potter. God is greater than you. Everything about God is greater than you. How dare you be prideful in the presence of God? If you want to get rid of pride in your life, just go before the Lord. It's that simple. Read the Bible. Get to know who he is. He tells the oceans they can't go any further, right? He formed the heavens. He created mankind. He causes the grass to grow. The trees are singing in heaven for the glory of God. He's created everything. There's no reason for any of us to have any pride, which is why I think it's only mentioned three times in the New Testament. It's really unfathomable before the Lord that mankind could be proud. Carnal man, we have a need to exalt ourselves. It's a product of being given the free gift of a free will by God. Once again, he gave that to us. We really have nothing to be proud about. I don't get it. We even feed that desire of exaltation by promoting what's called the American dream, which is based on pride and fueled by competition against his fellow man. Where'd that come from? The devil. 
We invest most of our time, most of our focus, and most of our energy in pursuit of winning this competition with our fellow men. Bigger cars, bigger houses, bigger paychecks, prettier wives, more handsome husbands. These are the goals of man, the carnal goals of man, based on our pride, fueled by our lust for recognition, acclaim, and power. And if the world won't give it to us, then pride will build a fantasy image in our minds where we can live the dream. And it grows and it grows and it feeds on thoughts of self-worth and self-acclaim. And then we begin to look down upon our fellow man. That's an aspect of pride. Thinking of yourselves more highly than you ought to. Thinking yourselves above your position in reality. We just look down and next thing you know, we're criticizing our fellow man. We're scorning our fellow man. We're belittling them in our minds. You know, in reality, there is no glory. There is no truth. There is no foundation to that pride. It has no support. It begins to make judgments based on fantasies that we live out each day, further and further removing us from life's realities. Matthew twenty three twelve in the Amplified Classic, I like this translation, whoever exalts himself with haughtiness and empty pride, that stuff is great, haughtiness, looking down on another, promoting yourself at the expense of another, even if it's only in your mind, and empty pride, what we just talked about. There's no substance to pride. Whoever exalts himself shall be humbled, brought low, and whoever humbles himself, whoever has a modest opinion of himself and behaves accordingly, shall be raised to honor. That's so good. Somebody wrote that honor is the pillar of humility. I chose this translation, though, because of the phrase empty pride. But look, Proud people don't wait for God to exalt themselves. Look at this. Whoever exalts himself, no. Proud people don't wait for God to exalt them. They exalt themselves. And notice, there isn't anyone who is immune to this temptation. There's a biblical promise here, too. If you exalt yourself, you will be humbled. Once more, though, we must go back to Spurgeon. Spurgeon has an excellent comment on this. And it's so true. Many people have often been humbled, yet... They have not become humble. Let me read that again. That is so good. God has humbled many people. Circumstances have humbled many people, yet they have not become humble. Remember Nebuchadnezzar, right? Nebuchadnezzar was proud of his accomplishments, and he started bragging on it. And and now he was a wicked ruler, and yet the Bible also talks about the fact that he was also a servant of God. Wow. We need to think about Biden in that context. Let's move on. So um, (laughs) whoever exalts himself, Nebuchadnezzar exalted himself. And what was his punishment? What was his humility? What did God do to him? Well, he put him on his knees and he had him eat grass with the cattle. And he did that. And God humbled him until he came to his right mind. He became humbled by the humility that God threw him into. And believe it or not, he's our brother. We'll see him in heaven. He repented. Thank you, Jesus. Most people don't know that about Nebuchadnezzar. That's astonishing. Anyway, there was also Joseph. Remember Joseph? Well, Joseph wasn't proud. Oh, yes, he was. The coat of many colors. He was constantly telling his brothers how he was God's favorite and everything. They got sick and tired of hearing it. They threw him in a pit and God threw him in prison. I mean, it's an amazing example. And yet Joseph became ruler under Pharaoh in the kingdom during the greatest time of Israel's persecution and stress with the seven years of famine. I mean, There's so many other examples. The Bible says that Jesus took upon himself the form of a servant, Jesus Christ, right? Who thought it not robbery to be called equal with God. 
What that means is he didn't think it was stealing any glory from God because he knew God and he was God. And yet he laid that down so that he could serve us. That's true humility. There's a biblical promise here, too, that if you exalt yourself, you will be humbled. Just get that in your head, man. Once more, though, we must go back and look at these old-time writers and what they had to say about humility, about pride, because the lessons are so good. Commentator Ellicott, he says that humility is not just a word that describes a passive state, but that it includes performing selflessly any task God assigns and brings forth spiritual fruit. Humility. And we need to start looking at at us that way because, once again, pride should never be mentioned in the church. It's not who we are. As a Christian, by definition, a Christian is someone who recognizes the exalted position of God, of Christ, in their lives. There can be no room for pride in that. John Wesley observed that neither the Romans nor the Greeks had a word for humility. (laughs) Of course not. The Romans or the Greeks, what? The Romans, they were proud. What were they proud about? They were proud about their power, their conquest, their military strength. And the Greeks, of course, they were proud about their intellect. They were philosophers, their doctrines and their culture. And so they were both proud and there was no room in their culture for humility. So the very concept was so foreign and abhorrent to their way of thinking that they had no term to describe it. When during the first several centuries of Christianity, though, pagan writers borrowed the term, I don't know if I can say this right, let's see, teprino forsune, they always used it as a derogatory term when referring to the Christians because the Christians were known by their humility. You know, we get prideful over something, something obstinate, arrogant, even haughty. So haughtiness is looking down upon other people from your high position of pride. But God humbles people all the time, and yet he humbles us. But if we don't learn the lesson, then we'll have to repeat the lessons of humility. You look at our athletes today, pick a sport, it doesn't really matter. Always, it's all about me, I am great, they take the glory. Now, there are some Christians over there that you'll see giving God the praise, and I've seen it. As a matter of fact, in this year's NFL draft, Uh, Houston Texans, our team, had the number two pick and the number three pick, and both of them turned out to be Christians, and they were giving God the glory. I love that. I love that. Hopefully, they're just not Christian athletes, but they're true Christians. The greatest golfer in the world right now, Scotty Scheffler, he's a Christian. He loves the Lord Jesus Christ. So there are Christians all there, all throughout, and we need to pray for these people because they're in an environment where pride can rob them of their relationship with God, and they may need to be humbled. But we trust God. Look at another word for proud here, and this is interesting. The word is hubris. For years, I heard that word used by our news commentators. I heard it in English literature, hubris. And basically, it's pride. It's pride. I would say it's pride in a more refined sense, but it's still pride. Actually, Webster says it's exaggerated pride or exaggerated self-confidence. So basically, hubris is pride, arrogance. According to studies, though, hubris is related to a need for victory. It creates confrontation in an attempt to satisfy man's need for that victory, even if that victory only takes place in one's mind. Hubris often indicates a loss of contact with reality and an overestimation of one's own competence, one's own accomplishments, one's own capabilities. Most proud people never get a true sense of how evil their actions become. 
Most proud people remain ignorant of truth because of hubris. It actually removes them from the place of sound judgment. First Peter 5, 5 through 6. Likewise, you younger submit unto the elder. Yes, all of you be subject one to another and be clothed with humility. Submit, the Greek word is hupotasso. It's actually a military term. And Paul, in many of his writings, Peter also, they would make it like it was warfare. They would use military terms. As Christians, we need to recognize authority as people not acting on their own so much as they are acting as agents for God. Remember, you must submit. This is a command. It's not optional. If we see authority as just people in our lives, whether it's governmental or business or social, we can become bitter towards that authority. But if we recognize them as serving God, we can become holy. Remember, I told you, Nebuchadnezzar, he was the servant of God, and yet the Jews, they would struggle with that, okay? But he was a servant of God for correction in their lives, and that correction had to be done through punishment. And yet, at the end of the day, he was called the servant of God, and eventually we're going to see him in heaven. A lot of Jews are going to be surprised about that. Let's bring that home to President Biden. You know, what is he president? Why is he president? Why not President Trump? Well, my personal opinion is I believe he's being used by God to show America how wicked we've become. I heard once we get the leaders that we deserve. Well, that's absolutely correct. You know, the church has quit preaching the truth. The church has quit standing and upholding moral values. The apostasy is upon us. Uh, Ed Young in Houston, Pastor Ed Young, says that 90% of the people he believes in pastors and are pastors in America are woke pastors. They've got woke ministries. And so America has chosen to continue to murder their babies. We've continued to promote perverted sexual lifestyles. We've refused to protect our children. And now we've got a leader that espouses all of that. And yet, could you consider, is he here as a servant of God for the purpose of bringing judgment upon America? I'm not saying that's the case. I'm just asking you to consider that because the government of America, that authority, the Constitution, that authority is placed here by God. Now, just because there's a wicked person that holds that power right now doesn't mean we are to disrespect the authority that God has placed over us. We need to learn how to pray. We need to learn to discern things. We need to see things properly so that we can better serve the Lord. Clothe yourself with humility, First Peter 5, 5 says. This is written in the Greek. It's the aorist imperative tense, which basically it's like a military command also. Paul especially wrote that way often, making military analogies to get his points, of course, points across, and also to uh, give us the example of the strength of his words. He wants us to understand this. You know, Bible is not full of a book of stories and parables and ideas and suggestions on how to live the life of a Christian successfully. Pride is the roadblock that sets up obstacles in our own past, which is why you must submit. Pride is the roadblock that we set up obstacles in our way. Humility takes down those obstacles. Sadly, it's usually us, though, who are constructing those roadblocks, and pride keeps us from taking them down. Humility isn't so much us thinking less of ourselves, but like Christ, it's us not thinking of ourselves at all. Think about that. God is opposed to pride. He is openly antagonistic against those who exhibit proud symptoms. It's heartbreaking. In the Greek, the word is antitasso, anti meaning against, and tasso meaning 
uh, to set an order. It means to set in array an army against a foe, to arrange in a battle order, or to line oneself up against. And that's what God does. The idea is that God is resisting us. He is hostile towards us. This is the posture God takes when dealing with prideful hearts in mankind. The sad part about this is the resistance is, and the actual way that it is written, it's an ongoing reflexive reflexive action by God towards pride. It's God's default position against the proud. It results in probably the greatest reason why there's very little growth in the life of the Christians. So, once more, here's another command from General Paul to the troops. Romans 12.3, For by the grace of God, which has been given to me, I say to every one of you not to think more highly of himself and of this importance and his ability than he ought to think. Don't think of yourself more highly than you ought to think. And that means there's a way you ought to be thinking. But to think so as to have sound judgment as God has apportioned to each of us a degree of faith and a purpose that he designed for our particular service. But look, if we are thinking wrongly, it interferes with us having sound judgment. If we are not thinking as we ought to think, it interferes with our ability to judge correctly. And that's a command from Paul. This command says, though, that he comes from a spirit of grace. This is not judgment or the law telling us something. This is the spirit of grace. Hallelujah. It's not judgment unto condemnation, but this is the spirit of grace talking through Paul. It comes as a warning. It comes as a correction. This is for everyone, for pastor, teacher, apostle, the newest, lowest saint. Don't think. Don't think what? Don't think more highly of yourself than you ought to. What's that mean? It means to think truthfully about yourself. It means to think accurately, to judge your own importance and abilities. It means to think critically. You know, Rush Limbaugh, before he died, he talked about the fact one of the greatest needs in the American culture is that we don't think critically anymore. You know, the Bible actually refers to, uh, when you read the Bible, muse, M-U-S-E. Think about the Word of God. Selah in the book of Psalms, S-E-L-A. It means stop. Meditate on what you're reading. Let the Holy Spirit minister to your spirit. Deep, calling unto deep. What is God's message here? What is he trying to say? So Paul says that if you think of yourself more highly than you ought to, that thinking interferes with you having sound judgment. He goes on. We have all been given the measure of faith apportioned to us by God, and he expects us to go ahead and use that faith for our special purposes, the specific callings on our lives. But we're not comparing ourselves to one another. I am not in competition with anybody else. You do what God's told you to do. Well, I think I can speak better than him. God didn't ask you that. He may want to do something else than the person that may be stumbling in his speech. And that was a uh, real-life example, stumbling in his speech. Hallelujah. But just... Think about you the way God made you. See yourself accurately. Get in front of the mirror and just talk to yourself and acknowledge the fact that, hey, I am not perfect. I'm not better than other people. You know, we get prideful over something. We get obstinate and arrogant and haughty. And God humbles us because he wants to correct us. But we don't repent. In the meantime, what that has done is now God is opposing us. So we see we're losing sound judgment. We are in opposition to God. He's warning us. You know, whether it's your point of view, your opinion, the case you're making, whether that's right or wrong becomes irrelevant. There is no substance to your pride. That's why it's called empty pride. Whereas honor is the foundation of humility, pride has no foundation. It's built on fantasy. It's supported only by lies. (laughs) The proud-hearted doesn't really live in a reality. 
Pride creates a false reality. We aren't going anywhere. It happens over and over and over again. We don't grow. God isn't for us. He is against us. He can't use us. This is where pride takes us. It is a dead-end street. And I want to go back to what Spurgeon said as we close this out, that God humbles us many times, but we never become humble. It's a totally different aspect, being humbled and becoming humble. And that is the robe of righteousness. That is the clothing of the saints. We are to put on a spirit of humility. Because after all, what we're doing in Christendom is we're supposed to be serving other people. You can't serve other people if you look down upon them. You can't serve other people if you think that you're all this high cotton and everything like this and God made you special. He did not make you special. He made you a servant. Any authority that you have, you use to serve other people. I don't care if you are a king. I don't care if you're a teacher. I don't care if you're a husband. The power and authority you have is so that you can be a better servant for the kingdom of God. Have a great week. Thank you for joining us for End Time Insights with Ron Geyer. Listen again next Sunday night at 8 on 100.7 The Word, where faith comes by hearing. You can also listen to the podcast of this program by going to kkht.com. If you would like to contact Ron, email him at gospelguy at comcast.net. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.